0: Do you want to know more about vampires, werewolves, zombies, and man-made monsters? Would you like to know more about the classic universal monster
1: movies responsible for creating the entire horror genre?
0: Then listen to our podcast, Let's Talk Monsters,
1: where we discuss everything monsters. Available on Apple
0: Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. How are you? I'm good. Good to see you. Good to see you. You know
1: I'm going to curse, probably.
2: <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> oh, OK, so with us once again is Leanna Escheveri, and we're going to talk about some additional correspondence she's had with accused pedophile Chuck Falco, currently serving several life sentences in a Florida penitentiary, as well as an update about Tony Simmons. So, Leanna, how much correspondence have you had with Chuck? How many letters?
1: He sent, I
2: think I, he sent me four letters. Four, okay. Who wrote first? Mike, did you write to Chuck first or did Leanna? Yeah, I. Leanna
0: said to me, encouraged me to write to Chuck. And the result of that was the letter that we discussed in episode eight. Yeah. At that point, I... Wasn't sure how to respond. I, I have since then sent him a follow-up letter, which I haven't gotten a response from that second letter I sent him. But in the in the interim, Leanna and I talked about, okay, well, he didn't really, you know, take too kindly to my letter, even though my letter was nothing more than just a probing letter. I wasn't, you know, I didn't really get in any specifics. But obviously he didn't, you know, he didn't respond favorably to it. And he was very threatening, which we covered. But um, then Leanna said, well, let me try, you know, because the difference between Leanna and I is that I only met Chuck once in the park and he probably doesn't even remember meeting me. And that Leanna, on the other hand, you know, he'd be more likely that he'd remember Leanna and Leanna had been to his house and remembered the raccoon and all of that stuff. So she went ahead and wrote him a letter and then he responded. And then I'll just turn it over to Leanna. Right.
1: So the first letter that I sent him was basically... The same letter that I sent to Carrie.
2: Right. So that's Carrie, his wife at the time.
1: Right. And I just adapted it a little bit to, you know, sending it to Chuck. So there were some questions in the original letter or some like inquiries about, you know, trying to remember what happened at that period in my life. So when he responded, he did remember who I was. And he, you know, he talks about some specific things you know he's in the first letter he's really guarded and he's also talking to me as if i'm 14 years old still you know he's telling me you don't know what you're getting yourself into and yeah. he kind of makes some um, strong statements about you know says that he's a high profile inmate or something like that and that as a result of that that this letter is on file with certain official uh, agents. Yes.
0: And then he says, because of the fact that she's in a different state, so he's in Florida and she's in North Carolina, that that would definitely get the attention of the FBI. And so she, he says, like, I just wanted to warn you that anything you send to me is being scrutinized by the FBI. Okay. Yeah. And then he tries to uh, basically get Leanna to um, admit that she has nothing to do, her letter has nothing to do with the book. He's still thinking, he's still referring to my
2: letter, even though that was two years ago. And, and he actually mentions you, Mike. He mentions my name, yeah. Do you want to go ahead and read part of that, Leanna?
1: Yeah, I could, I mean, it's not a very long letter, so I can just read it. Um, dear Leanna, yes, I do remember you and the other boyfriend that traveled with you. Richie talked about you as a friend, but not a steady girlfriend. The fact that you remember our raccoon, Sabrina, lets me know that you are who you say you are. What you need to know about me now is that you have touched base with a high-profile inmate. I am monitored by the powers that be based on former individuals attempting extortion. You talked about an old friend and a book. If this old friend is Mike Fragameni or his wife, he neglected to inform you of our previous communication. If you and your friend are looking to write a book about true crimes, I will not help you with that project and my attorneys will be in touch with you if this is the case. Now that you sent me a letter, the staff investigators and the Union County prosecutors will be informed of your mail because you live out of state, this falls under interstate communication, which is under the control of the FBI. They too will be informed once you determine what you are seeking. I will reply to all future mail from you, As long as you clearly understand that what you put down in the way of questions will be scrutinized to see if this is a request for help or a con game. As of this letter, you now know what you have stepped into. I will not help you open Pandora's box. The internet can destroy us both, but I am a dead man walking. Your history with Richie is only what I know he told you to me and his friends from his point of view. Teens his age could be cruel at times. Be careful what you ask for. I have nothing to lose. If you write back, make sure you sign your name to the letter. I have had false mail in the past with real names and address, only to find out one person needed to hurt another. You are being monitored as of your first letter. This is not a junior high school game you have ventured into. At age 72, I am in bad health and have little time left. I will help you if I can, but I will not be used for entertainment. My law firm and I have gone through this same book thing over six times. At my age, I look forward for mail just like I did in the army. I have a happy with a smiley face on there, Chuck.
0: Yeah, that's just that's just so weird that he always ends his letters. There's
1: always a little smiley face.
0: Yeah, so it's 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 kind of it's it's a much nicer closing than he gave me, where he didn't give me the happy and the smiley face, but he did after just. Being so threatening, he still ended his letter by saying,
2: I look forward to your reply.
1: You know? <laughs> you know?
0: So it's just, you know, he definitely,
2: you know, likes He's still using to that thing about I'm on my way out and I, I don't have much time left. He he really likes to restate that every time, whether it's true or not. Yeah. We have no idea.
0: Yeah. I I think it's a bunch of bullshit. God will probably live to be 100.
1: Yeah. Um, right.
0: I mean, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's just, that's what started this, uh, this, uh, uh, correspondence between Leanna and Chuck and it went back and forth, uh, two or three times and, you know, we're still trying to get answers about the orange tank top and, right. um, you know, and what really happened in the house and, and, uh, you know, the irony of the whole thing is, you know, I, I happen to agree with Chuck in his assumption that Jerry had more to do with this than the official version. Now, it doesn't mean that I want to be buddy-buddy with Chuck. I don't. I think he's a freaking monster, you know. But but in this one instance, he is one of the few people who can sort of comment on the alignment of the gun. Right. And, you know, he was the one who set it up. And it's like if he saw that gun and he could see right away that like, no, somebody tampered with that. You know, and then he then he the next thing he finds out is he's almost hundred percent sure that Jerry was with Richie. That's what he's gonna conclude. He's gonna say, Well, those kids somehow screwed things up. I wanted that gun to scare someone, and now it wound up killing
2: someone. So Well
1: just, he does mention that too in one of his letters I know. to me. He asks me if I knew that Jerry was with Richie.
2: Okay, let's hear about some of the other letters and his response to those.
1: Uh well, I try to find a balance with him because I'm And what I told Michael before, too, was like, I felt like you had to kind of stroke his ego a little bit, you know, so you kind of like correspond with him a little bit and then throw some questions in there. Um, So the next letter I sent him, I just tell him that, you know, as per the norm for a lot of people, as they get older, I'm reflecting on my childhood. You know, I'm missing a lot of information during that time in my life, and I'm trying to put some pieces together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mentioned some things like a girl that used to go over there with me pretty frequently. And she actually went to the courthouse with us. And I bring up, uh, I bring up some of the things in the house, like music that he would listen to in the house. And, you know, so he still knows that, you know, I'm who I say I am. And that, that was a very short letter that I wrote to him, uh, that he responds to me. And at this point in the beginning of this letter, he starts using the word retirement pretty frequently. Um, and he refers to where he's at as his gated retirement community. Uh,
2: what was that? His gated retirement community? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, Jesus.
1: Um, and he says, you know what? That's what we do mostly is we reflect on the past, yeah.
2: reflect on your crimes. And
1: he's asking me again about the book. And what I did is I just kept kind of deflecting this question. And because he kept asking me to sign my name and I didn't do that either. I was, everything that I sent him was typed out and printed. Um, and then he just seemed to kind of drop it after like the third letter or something.
2: Yeah. He was, he's obviously really paranoid about that.
1: He's, he is paranoid about it. I mean, I think that I don't really believe most of what he just says in here. Um, I think he's a crazy person. Um, he says, uh, at this point, I'm still open to writing to you to see how this grows over the years. I've traveled back in time with friends and relatives that are still with me regardless. Uh, to reach out to me is okay as long as this is not a book con game. He's going on about the book some more. And he said he had some offers and he could have done that right after you know, the court hearings. But he didn't want to hurt the Brush family any further than he already had. I can't even believe that he had any consideration about that. I think that that's him saying to me, if you dig up this stuff, you're going to hurt these people. So I think that he, that's really what that's saying.
0: As far as like the research, like the, the little bits and pieces that I feel like are useful, the this idea that he, um, well, first of all, going back to like the scapegoat, for instance, you know, um, and sort of like, adding information on that there's a point i can't remember what what letter it is i think it's the second or third one but he mentions this hippie that follows you around now that can only be two people okay that could either be me okay mike hippie mike or hippie vinny or hippie vinny (laughs) right because you when you went out (laughs) with vinny vinny had long hair too
1: i like the guys with the long hair
0: yeah you do and (laughs) so the thing is is I, I get the feeling like Chuck was conflating, um, you know, meeting me in the park because I had super long hair when I met him that day in the park. And then Richie telling him that he liked you because Richie, I knew Richie liked you when I was dating you because Richie told me that. It's one of the things he mentioned. And and so he probably said, you know, some things about me like, you know, that dirtbag Mike, that hippie Mike with the long hair sort of thing, M- me not even knowing that Richie had those feelings. So read the part where he says that because he says something, it says something like that.
1: All right. I'm, oh, here it is. Um, he says, cause in my, my letter that I asked him about Nancy Huffman, he's responding to that. He says, I have no recall about Nancy Huffman, only the hippie looking burned out boyfriend.
0: Mike. No, he does <laughs> No. But but no, keep on reading though, because he says something about what Richie said.
1: And, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm joking. I should I'll be more professional. <laughs> okay, he said, um, only the hippie looking burned out boyfriend that followed you around. He was the brunt of some bad jokes from Richie and his friends. Right. Um, and then and then he goes on about how he's still open to writing to me and she, he didn't want her family any further. Um, And then he talks about Richie some more. he says, Richie and his friends talked about you as if you would do anything for Richie. Richie stated he lost his boyhood to you. This is a little personal, you guys. Um, And that didn't happen, just for the record. Um, Along with some of his other friends, too. My wife chastised them all when they talked about this subject around her. Did she ever talk to you about that? She defended you every time they would start up about you or any of the other girls they started to meet. Guys that age like to lie a lot about that stage of their life. Uh, did you know that Jerry Burkowski was with Richie that day and left him behind? Jerry's parents sent him to South America to stay with Jerry's father's friends. When it was all over, Jerry came home and his family moved. I, and I don't, I don't know if any of that is correct south america stuff right yeah i don't know either um my flashbacks of vietnam 1968 through 70 are mixed at times with richie they both never stop and then he asked me a few questions personal stuff what about you are you married did you finish high school college kids how did you end up in north carolina good positive stuff until next time have a happy happy little smiley face
0: God. So, and then in another letter, he says the one, I think it would be the next letter is the one where he talks about the fingerprints and he says, Tony was gay. And he says, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, he yeah, says, yeah, he yeah. says that Jerry's father was a big time drug dealer.
1: Yeah.
0: I didn't know that. I, I don't know if that's true, but. I that's, don't
1: know. Hey, then he hmm. talks about the plant nursery a little bit. Do you want to hear that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that was okay. So that's something that, um, I, man, I wish. I wish when we were recording eight that I had remembered that because that's something I did know because we had this letter by then. And when you and I were recording eight, James, um, you know, looking in that letter, he actually says, yeah, Carrie and I had 15 acres and he gives the name of it and he says where it was in West Palm Beach. So it's just like it's not crucial to the episode, but it would have been a nice detail to like have included that, you know. This is later on when he gets.
1: This is later after he gets out of jail and then he's in West Palm Beach. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, I owned and operated a 15 acre tree farm and plant nursery with Carrie. We broke up three years prior to my retirement. That had nothing to do with my retirement. Did you catch that?
0: Ugh, God. <laughs> he uses retirement in place of being prosecuted.
1: Yeah, his, you know. prior to my retirement that had nothing to do with his retirement. Um, yeah. We grew in two different directions. I like the quiet country life, and she wanted to go home to New York City. Not me. I love trees and plants. My last degree was in the field of horticulture through Florida State. Lots of other prior to that.
0: Yeah, some of his writing's a little funky. You gotta... And
1: it's kind of hard to read it sometimes. Yeah. Um, I could talk forever about plants. Our name was Native Island Gardens out of Palm Beach County. It's in the city of Wellington, Florida.
0: Right. Okay. So that's where all that stuff happened. You know, that's the, where all the, that
1: other stuff happened. The, yeah, yeah, the last
0: chapter with the last group of boys was there. Yeah. Um, and says, what, uh, what about the fingerprint spot? Because that was also interesting.
1: Well, it also says here, I don't know if this is of interest to you, but he says his first degree was in art, but never did anything with it. I went into counseling, social work, and psychology, both Carrie and I. Um, yeah. And I'm assuming that they probably met each other at school like that, you it's know?
0: That, it sounds like freaking like, it sounds like the Joker and Harley Quinn, you know, like, oh, like go, going to psychology and,
1: no. and like
0: just producing these, these monsters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> Then he says this, thanks for the info on Richie. His last year was a wild run. His prints showed up on lots of break-ins along with Jerry, Tony, and others that were all around our community. He was a chameleon with a drug problem. And Jerry's dad was a big time dealer out of South America. As I found out later on, his boyhood friend, Tony was gay. Um, yeah, I wonder if that, like, because he says, you know, he says that uh, Richie had a drug problem and Jerry's dad was a big time dealer out of South America. So is that him deflecting that, like, obviously, Chuck is the source of the drugs, you know?
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. That's
1: So this really started to, I, at some point, it was probably by this third letter. That I cause I would say, Hey, I got a letter from Chuck. I'm just gonna send it to you. I don't want to read it yet. Right. Like, yeah. I, just, I
0: read it before you, yeah.
1: I was getting so annoyed with this retirement thing and this you know, uh, so the last letter I wrote to him was the last letter that I wrote to him because I I don't want to kind of play this game with him anymore because I'm I'm a little over it. And I'm a little over him.
0: Well what what we talked about was that you felt like it was an insult to your intelligence that he was sort I felt of like
1: he was playing with me, like and I didn't like yeah, it, yeah,
0: and in denial, like it's like you're writing to him in prison you you have the address right there, and he's in complete denial that he's even done anything wrong. He's making it sound like he he had this nice life, and he's retired now with his war buddies, and they just sit around and tell well, war stories just hang
1: around and play dominoes, and
0: yeah, you know,
1: and then he just he writes me a letter, but it's like May nineteenth and he's like, long time no here, happy Memorial Day. And then it's just, again, it's just more boring stuff like about what it's like for him there and COVID. He's talking about how they're handling COVID. And that's really like he doesn't really talk about any of this stuff that I've been asking him about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is he fishing for any more uh, information about the book or anything like that? See, he's not.
1: Yeah, that stopped after the second letter. Because okay. I just ignored it with my response, yeah. and then I wasn't signing. I wasn't, and then he just he moved on from there. But this last letter is really just about they had to find a new guy to do the laundry. Like I just give a shit, you know. Right. He wishes me a happy belated Mother's Day.
2: That's uh... <laughs> exactly. And then he's yeah. like, you
1: know, he tells me about his girlfriend in New York City that's stuck at home with her son, and he says, still thinking about you.
0: It's bizarre, man. It's really bizarre. Wait a minute. His girlfriend in New York City?
1: Girlfriend in New York City. She's probably one of those people that write to inmates and they like develop relationships and stuff, you know?
0: That's probably what he was trying to get you, you know, and, and that's the thing. I mean, okay, all con game aside, I mean, he, he was, you reached out to him and you made it clear Even though you were peppering in questions about, you know, the break-ins and stuff um, for me, you know, primarily um, and for the book, you know, but he the thing is, is he knew from the very beginning that your main reason was that you you needed help remembering your childhood, that he was going to try to help you with that. So the fact that he sends you an unsolicited letter like it's not this last letter is not a response to a previous letter. You you were still yet to send him a letter. So he takes it upon himself to write you an additional letter, and he doesn't say anything that could help you. He's just just talking about his life, talking
1: about himself. Yeah, and his boring prison life.
0: Right, but the fact that he said on the previous letter, he said that okay, if he says Richie's fingerprints were found, well, no, duh, he was dead, so we know his fingerprints. And Jerry,
1: they're all over the house anyway.
0: Right. But he doesn't say it in the way that I don't think he would have said that if he meant that, like, well, yeah, Leanna, your fingerprints are in our house, too, because like that's not the same thing just because right. you were at his house and you touch things. What he's saying is he's putting in the context of break ins. He says, you know, their fingerprints were found and it was part of the break in. But he includes Tony. And for me, that's important because, you know what I mean? No one else is substantiating that Tony was there except for Tony himself. And um, yeah. and that's the only other person who's said that. No, like and, and when even though he doesn't say it specifically, the, f- the impression I get is he means that the fingerprints were found in a place like on the window or, or like in the bathroom where you wouldn't expect fingerprints to be, you know. Um, right. And I think that's what he meant. That little piece of evidence is important to whatever claims that I might write in the book or whatever. We've already discussed it. As well as we could in the podcast. So right. that we can't go back and do anything except record an episode like this. It's just a follow-up episode. But um, but at least in the book, I can get it right. I, I can get it closer to
2: hopefully what happened, you know. Yeah. So during the course of taping Booby Trap, uh, you found out some news about Tony Simmons. And I think I had asked you during the recording if you had talked to him lately or tried to reach out to him. And I forget exactly what you told me, but uh, uh, you made some inquiries. Um, what was that—a phone call or did you write some letters? What happened exactly? The last conversation I had with him, we we went back
0: and we were talking about him, you know, involving me, implicating me with the keys. And it was it was like eight years went by that I hadn't talked to him or anything, you know, and um, and then in. 2019, you know, when I started getting ready to file my dissertation, I was pretty much done with my dissertation. And the the first thing I wanted to work on was my book. I wanted, I was looking, rereading all my files and seeing where I was and all of that stuff. And then that that's when you and I, James, like sort of reconnected and we started talking. I started telling you about the book and then we started doing the podcast. And so I just thought I got to bring Tony on online again, you know, because I just figured that, you know, I, you know, like I've, I've, I didn't realize it at the time, but now it's really clear to me that, you know, Booby Trap is really a story about my friendship with Tony. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's more about that than it is about the murder or Chuck or, you know, boys being molested. It's it's really just about this friendship that I had with Tony and and all of this stuff comes to me via him. So I wanted to bring him back online. I wanted to get him involved. And I was... You know, just a little nervous thinking like, oh, you know, now I'm going to be telling him that, you know, the book is back on and he's going to be like, oh, man, you know, why, you know, and maybe he thought he was off the hook and, you know, we wouldn't have to talk about this stuff anymore. And so I called him and the number was disconnected and um, I had to do some research and I found alternate numbers for him and I got one that worked like it went through and I got to his voicemail and it was definitely him. I recognized his voice and um, I left a message you know, and I just said, you know, hey, it's Mike. You know, I I'm, I want to talk to you about some stuff. You know, da da da, and he always would get back to me if I called him. You know, left a message, he would always get back to me, and he didn't. I mean, it. You know, days went by. Um, I had called his brother. Um, I did some research and got his his only surviving family member, and I left a message on his voicemail and said, hey, I'm looking for Tony. You know, can you? Help? He never called me back. So I just, you know, that was maybe in May or whatever. I don't know when it was. I called him again. Didn't get anything. Got got the voicemail again. I started getting nervous. You know, I I started thinking like, I hope something hasn't happened to him. And I started doing research and, you know, to the point where I was paying, you know, to to those pay sites where you have to pay a little bit to get more information. Um, And still nothing came up. He changed his name, you know, it was just like, I had to run searches for three or four different names, you know, cause he would use Anthony Williams. Cause you know, that's his middle name. Um, so it would be like, it could be Anthony Williams or Anthony William Simmons or William Simmons. Um, you know what I'm saying? It could be Tony Williams. Yeah. And <laughs> so it was a real pain in the ass. And finally I was just running a deep search for um, Anthony William Simmons and with his birth date. And I, I got a match. I got a hit from uh, the Dade County Medical Examiner and um, and I there was because you know in Florida they have these public records, you know, and, and it looked like it was him. And I there was another Anthony William Simmons that, you know died but died like two years earlier. and I thought maybe that was him. And uh, and then it turns out it wasn't. And I was like, oh, great. You know, it's not him, you know. Um, But then there was something different about that. Anthony William Simmons, either he was in a different state or he had a different birthday. There was something different. Um, Long story short is um, it took me a really long time, but eventually I was able to get uh, someone on the phone um, who worked in the Dade County Medical Examiner's Office. And um, they were they actually spoke to me over the phone and they confirmed that it was actually Tony who passed away. And um, and I does just to double check, you know, I just said, well, um, I, I he I think he asked me um, if I knew his next of kin and I and I told him what Tony's brother's name is. And they confirmed that, yes, that was his next of kin. And he was he was notified that his brother had passed away and all of that. So so, yeah, Tony's no longer with us. And um, and it was very sad, you know, because, like I said, Tony is a I consider him to be one of my best friends from that time of my life, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, like I said, in the podcast, I mean, you know, we, we had grown apart. I didn't know if we had anything in common anymore or whatever, you know, it's, you know, old friends, you know, but yeah. because this story really is about my friendship with him, um, it's, I, you know, dedicate this story to him, you know, for what it's worth. And we can even say that he was a victim, you know, of, <laughs> of
1: course he was. And I, yeah. I, I often wonder if, you know, the way he, that he was later in his life, if she was just a damaged individual, like a lot of those other people from all of the stuff that went on.
0: Right. I'm sure it did. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure, hmm. um, you know, uh, our friend Marlene, I'm sure she wouldn't mind if, you know, I referred to her. Um, she was also a friend from the neighborhood and she, uh, she was, she was, very close with tony um tony was they actually that was his first girlfriend was marlene and i remember that you know i had forgotten that and then we were talking and she told me and she reminded me she goes remember mike i was remember when i dated tony i was like oh my god yeah it was like you know they were that's when we were young that was before tony was even friendly with me that's when he just lived three doors down you know when he was sort of like not part of our little group you know Um, But Marlene was friends with us, you know, so but I remember seeing them walking and holding hands and stuff. And um, so she told me that um, not only was Tony, you know, damaged from that stuff from, you know, the same time period, teenage stuff. But there was another friend of his um, who's I won't say his name, but there was another friend who was, you know, part of that whole thing, probably abused by Chuck. And that recently he was arrested um, for a child molestation. Oh, God. So here we have at least one example of someone who That's
1: was molested. the chain, the chain of abuse. It's yeah.
2: Just... Right. The cycle goes on. The cycle goes on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting because, because of this podcast, a whole dialogue has opened up, and a lot of people have been coming forth and adding to the story. Yeah. The podcast has really helped us in our research
0: because yeah. – it's out there now, and people, you know. So we people are res-
1: people are responding to it, and people want to talk about it, right? Uh, because it's a group; it's not. I feel. I think feel pe- that people don't feel so isolated about it,
2: right? So I just want to read something here that a listener posted on the Booby Trap Facebook group, and and I find it, I find it very sad, but yeah. at the same time, it. Really demonstrates the effect that the events in the podcast uh, still have on the survivors and their families today. So, this post says, Thank you for being kind to my brother and trying to get to the truth. My brother was a child and victimized by Chuck up until the age of 17. He eventually turned against Chuck and helped in getting Chuck sent to prison. My brother grieved until the day he died for the things that happened to him and others. I've held on, and there's a she posts a picture of his Boy Scout uniform, Troop 85, yeah, yeah. the Troop 85 patch. And she says, I've held on to this all these years to burn when Chuck dies. Rest easy, brother. You're at peace. No more monsters. Right. That's a pretty moving letter there. Oh, yeah. There. No, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful.
0: And it's for the public record, yeah. But what I was going to say was in the last few weeks, you know, and I, I've, I've kept you informed on this, James, but like, you know, there have been two ex-scouts that have come forward to mm-hmm. want to talk that I wasn't, you know, expecting. So right. it's uh, it'd be great to, to sort of be able to sort of deconstruct all of that, pull it apart, but then it's going to take time because we don't want to we don't want to misquote anyone or get something wrong because then we would just have to go back and fix it and it would just be like you know so yeah
2: and the story continues yeah if you'd like to be part of the conversation you can join us on the booby trap facebook page where you'll find lots of extra info, including photos of some of the people in the story. Or you can connect directly with myself, Leanna, or Mike. Just search for Booby Trap Pod. That's one word. Also, if you'd like to hear or purchase some of the amazing original music from the series, check out the episode show notes at apostrophepodcasts.ca slash booby trap, or go to Bandcamp and search for music from the Miami Chronicles. And, Last but not least, get ready for season two of the Miami Chronicles, coming early next year. Stay tuned for the trailer. At 2 a.m. on Halloween 1967, a well-known gangster in the greater Miami area entered the Harbor Lounge. He had been there countless times, since it served as the bar to his favorite restaurant, a place for steak. He was there to discuss a conflict of interest concerning another member of their organization. Upon entering the foyer and noticing someone who was sitting at the bar, he mumbled, that bastard. Nonchalantly, he turned his back to the bar to hand in his jacket to the coat check. Suddenly, five gunshots rang out. And he fell dead to the floor. Welcome to Killing Paradise, season two of the Miami Chronicles, coming early next year. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods
0: Do you want to know more about vampires, werewolves, zombies, and man-made monsters? Would you like to know more about the classic universal monster movies
1: responsible for creating the entire horror genre?
0: Then listen to our podcast, Let's Talk Monsters.
1: Where we discuss everything monsters. Available on
0: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts.